Pete, I'll, I remember that you have like your your full name. It's a great best friend name. Like, oh, my best friend Pete. I can't remember your last name though. Oh, thank you, Bakaitis. Pete Bakaitis. Pete Bakaitis, right? dude. Whoa, right, that's word. That is perfect. Like Hank Mardugas. <laughs> oh yes. What is the kid from? Uh, what's the kid from Parks and Rec that Leslie Nope hates? Do you guys know his name? Oh, I think it's Hank. Isn't that Hank Mardukas? Oh, I think it might be Greg Pakaitis. Greg Pakaitis, <laughs> dude. And she always talks about like she always just say like Pakaitis, and then it'll like flash back to some horrific memory of hers. <laughs> it's great. Well, Greg Pakaitis is on the podcast today. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, and he I have no choice. Fudged it all up with this, <laughs> this dang audio interface. It won't work. So we're we're like a married couple sitting next to a microphone right now. Oh, this is how married couples podcast is. <laughs> they only have one microphone. Yeah, and y'all have to hold it like the glass of wine when the wedding couples drink together, interlocked arms. You know. <laughs> Light the unity candle and let's get this underway. There we go. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So I hear you're getting married, Pete. Is that right? That's true. It's coming up real quick. Just a couple weeks here. Oh, nice. Congratulations, man. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's, it's exciting. And, and boy, there's a ton of stuff to do when, when you do that. And everyone says, oh, it's so much work. I thought, okay, well, we're going to be clever with you know, outsourcing and clever software usage. But then, no, sure enough, you, you still have to do a ton of things. <laughs> mm. Mm. Well, are, are the uh, practical pieces coming together? They are, yes. Well, well, Father Connor Danstrom here will be the celebrant. Nice. Uh, rocking and rolling. He'll have about five uh, celebrating buddies uh, rocking and rolling. So it should be an awesome day. Cool, dude. Who's the lucky lady? Her name is Katie, and she's very sweet. Was she a U of I guy as well? No, she went to Notre Dame and then Berkeley. Mm, well, that's not the same as you have I, no, but I still give you my blessing oh, for, you. for the marriage. Yeah, absolutely. He, he found her in a catalog. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> Dang it, man. I cannot believe how shaped my brain is by uh, TV shows because I just thought of Michael Scott finding a girl in a catalog. <laughs> the chair girl. There's a, a whole episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. He, he falls in love with the catalog girl. Well, before we get underway, Greg, could you pray for us, please? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I'm honored. Well, yes, please. And the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, thank you for this special moment and this opportunity that we share here together to uh, podcast for hopefully your greater glory and at least our amusement and for, for those who, who care to listen in. Uh, thank you for the enrichment and blessing that Three Dogs North has been as a podcast and a collection of homies and and awesome bro dudes that serve as a continual inspiration i ask that holy spirit you just uh be with us party with us rock and roll as well as touch those who listen and uh, just thanks for your many blessings that make this even possible with the the crazy interwebs and technologies and stuff that mostly kind of work and uh, it's 
It's a delight. So thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. 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 I might have to include that prayer in the actual that was final cut. Amazing prayer. That was the best prayer we've ever had yeah, on the geez. podcast. You're you flatter you're you're such flatterers. <laughs> no, I honestly I honestly had the thought in the middle of the prayer, we need to put this on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just, blow, just make that the episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I will trust your creative uh, editorial and directorial discretion <laughs> as as artists. So do do what works best. You don't have to do, tell us to do what we want to do. We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> That's your MO. That's literally the motto of my life. I do put a lot of work into the editing of this podcast. <laughs> so, absolutely. Rob's main job is mail slave. <laughs> and anytime there's any need to mail anything. M-A-I-L slave. <laughs> that is an important clarification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which he actually, <clears throat> Rob, you have done tasks as mail slave. Before. I've mailed things. We had a whole intro of a podcast of my experience at the post office, if you recall. Thank you, Canada. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh, <clears throat> that still fires me up to think about, dude. <laughs> like, I went through that whole thing, and then I have to fill out a customs form. Yeah, he is getting oh. His nostrils are flared a little bit. Yeah, it got real. Well, you guys ready to make America great again, or what? Woo! Going right after. Let's. Huh? We all knew it was coming. <laughs> we all knew it was coming. No, we don't have to talk about that. But I did. Uh, I did preach a little bit this weekend about how, um, like the end of the liturgical year always comes to some weird apocalyptic readings, and with the Cubs winning the World Series and a completely out of left field re- election result that dismayed many people it seemed a little bit appropriate Mm -hmm. how did you incorporate it oh i just said uh that so the the reading from thessalonians apparently the the letter to the thessalonians is the oldest in the new testament is the earliest christian writing wow and part of uh most of the letter has to do with what a lot of like rapture type people will quote say that everybody's going to get lifted out of their shoes and it's Paul kind of telling them like what what the end of the world is actually going to be like um you know it's not going to be on the newspaper headlines like everybody's going to know when Christ comes back um so mind your own business it's kind of like the the point of the letter at least the section we read at mass on Sunday was don't be a busybody um everybody's got some work to do if you don't work you're not going to eat you know don't worry about things that you can't control or other people's business. And I just thought it's interesting that that was about 20 years after the resurrection and everybody's like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? You know? Um, and they had no idea that, um, 2000 years would pass and it still hasn't happened. We're still in the age of the church. Um, and I kind of pointed out like all the different governments and, and things that the church has gone through and lived through, uh, where people might have thought, oh, now we're the official religion of the Roman Empire. This must be, you know, right before the end of the world, because now finally we've reached sort of cultural and religious hegemony. And then Rome falls. And then people are like, probably, oh, this is the end of the world. My gosh, Rome, how could we imagine Rome falling? And then they go through the Dark Ages and 
monasticism and then to Charlemagne all the way through the high middle ages to the reformation to the birth of democracy and now every four years we think the world is ending um but it's not you know it is i said that the real last day of the world the end of the world was the crucifixion uh because jesus is talking about the temple being destroyed which it was but the world kept going like but he meant the temple of his body was the sort of symbolic and metaphysical meaning of that and his temple that temple was destroyed and was renewed and came back glorified and that's the church the body of jesus and uh so the old world is passing away and in a certain way has passed away but i for one i could not stop listening to talk radio to you know like trying to read people's opinions i it was just not minding my own business and between that and the cubs winning the world series i felt like <laughs> My gosh, I just need to like <clears throat> keep my head down and do what I'm supposed to do, you know, because these big events and things that I feel very interested in, but have actually no control over, um, are dominating my mental energy. And you know what I'm saying, dude? I will. I will say this. Uh, one, seriously, I've never been more thankful to not be on Facebook just from the stories oh, yeah. th that I've heard of it. But I did watch the, the news one night last week. It was after the election. But uh, anyway, and it was just kind of, yeah, in a similar vein, I guess, like trying to get a pulse of like what, um, like, uh, wh what like the opinions are going on, even, even like the protests, whatever. And uh because, you know, even like no matter where you fall in the political spectrum, like I think pretty much consensus is that it was a surprise that Trump beat Clinton last Tuesday. Um, but the only thing that like really honestly perked my interest from this uh, like news cycle that I watched was some statistic that they had that it was like, I mean, it was a crazy high percentage number. But it was just it was just straight up. It was like eighty percent of uh, like Republicans or people on the right are fearful of the other side, and it was like the same exact st statistic that they found on the left. Like Democrats are fearful of the right, and that was like the only thing that stuck out to me. Was like even. And I honestly, and I guess that why it stuck out to me, because it was like, in, in that sense, like, I don't think the result mattered for like that particular statistic that like the sides are afraid of each other. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there's not even an insight to uh, to that necessarily, but I just found it like intriguing. And yeah, I mean, thinking back, I don't know. Well, that's what each, I'm saying. It's like each we, election. We feel like the stakes are so high. Um, yeah, yeah. When in reality, day to day, they're probably not really that high. And people might say, oh, that's easy for you to say. And that is like, that's probably my one, I guess, noticing. Um, yeah, like how. Like at the one on one level, like the personal level, I've just found that to not be. The case, so it's like this social like almost I, I don't know. It's almost like a, it's not a mob phenomenon, but um, 
like I've just found that like talking to people about it. I was at the parish this weekend that I go to, and just like he, kind of hearing people's take on it, and they were across the board. And but I mean, some people were like very upset about it. Um, some people were happy about it, but it was like talking to people one on one. It like there isn't that effect, but the overall thing of like what's going to happen, it is like this. I don't know, just kind of like this doom and gloom mentality right. out there. I mean, it was it was like interesting is not the right word uh, for it because I don't think it's quite fair to like the people I was speaking with, but it, it kind of was in a way as well. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mean by the homily to say like, oh, well, this is the end of the United States and sure. you know, no, who no, cares because no, no. yeah. the church has been through all sorts of different ways of governing the worldly, the earthly city. I wasn't saying like we pray for our country we pray for our president um but yeah just like thinking we take the long view that's part of being a christian is that uh we're headed somewhere and like the purpose of the earthly city the governing bodies or whatever which i mean even paul would say you know obey these authorities because all authority comes from from god i heard an interesting talk from first things they have a lecture every year and maybe we talked about this when I came up there, but in any case, it's an evangelical guy, I can't remember his name, but he gave the Erasmus lecture this year in New York. And he was talking about how, uh, you know, in modern democracy, we, we inhabit kind of a weird middle ground where, so he takes the sort of the vignette, Christ uh, before Pilate, where Christ says, you would have no authority over me if it weren't given to you from above. You know, so we, we are the body of Jesus. We are the presence of Christ in the world. And so in some ways, uh, we will be opposed by the powers that be, you know, and we are to have courage and, and take the long view and, and know that crucifixion gives way to resurrection. And so we can, we can have hope and, and faith and confidence in that, even in the face of opposition, persecution, and all that, all that stuff that's foreshadowed, like in the reading uh, for this past weekend. But at the same time, so we are Jesus in the face of Pilate as Christianity, as Christians, but also as the electorate, we are Pilate. Do you get what I mean? Like we, we govern ourselves. We are the powers that be, and at least, you know, in the platonic ideal of, of democracy, representative government, we are the ones that choose the people who make the laws. So by extension, we make our own laws. And so what does it look like for the church to both, um, you know, stand athwart in some ways the powers of the world, but also be them in whatever attenuated way. You only have one vote, but uh, you get what I'm saying? This this middle ground, and, it, and it's, I know it is making me crazy and makes a lot of people crazy. And, and uh, in some ways, like it would be easier I'm not saying it would be better. It would be easier if we had no control, you know, if we could just focus on what are we doing as the church? Uh, Whatever happens in society, uh, we don't have any control over that. Like, what's our vocation? But when you're when you're invested with a power, again, however small, just one vote, you you feel like the stakes are high. You know, you you have a conscience and you have to decide among these people, neither of which or none of which are ideal. who do I, as a, as a Catholic Christian, choose? Who do I cast my vote for, you know? Um, 
But that point about everybody being afraid of each other, I think that that is really what's at stake. And I'm only 31 years old, so I haven't, I don't know anything about the, the actual experiential feel of politics, you know, 40, 50 years ago, but I'm under the impression that America is more divided than ever. And people, people just don't get each other, you know, like I doubt any staunch Hillary supporter really knew or was friends with any, this is a general statement, can't be actually true, but generally speaking, Hillary supporters don't know Trump supporters and Trump supporters don't know Hillary supporters and they're just not talking to each other. They don't live the same life. Um, yet we all have to live in a country together. And it's, it's very true. And, and what kind of spooks me is just, well, I mean, it, you could see some visualization data charts associated with how little uh, collaboration and, and across the aisle partnerships are happening now as compared to, to decades past. And but what really gets me going is when I see I am on Facebook still when I see the posts that say things like, I don't know how this might be possible, but if any of you, my friends voted for Donald Trump, please delete me from your Facebook friendship and and your life. It was like, geez, I mean, that's like the opposite of what we need is the the capacity to to understand one another and, and, and see where we're going and why. Yeah, the uh, the homily at the parish this weekend that I was at was it was crazy good, but his point in it um, was because he brought up he brought up the election and um, and he was talking about pretty much I mean overall his point was that like Jesus Christ is our savior kind of no matter what politics brings no matter what government brings or or whatever. Like Jesus is the one who will fulfill our hearts, but how he did it was just a really like nice way to kind of like walk people through his thinking on it. But at one point, he was talking about um, he did, he hadn't seen that statistic that I was talking about or anything, but he was trying to like name this underlying fear in so many people, and I think it was across the board exactly that of. Like, the left is afraid of the right, and the right is afraid of the left. And his point was that if you don't relate that to God, if you don't talk to the one person that can actually um, actually take care of your fears, he said that fear will turn into hate, and you will become what you fear. And I was like, man, dude, that is... For me, he just named like exactly what you see when that happens. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. And I believe Yoda seconds that with he has a little speech to that effect as well, right? Yoda? He says something like, you know, in his Yoda voice, which, which I can't do well, was like, oh, if your fear becomes hate. He's like warning about going down the dark side and that the fear does indeed turn into that, that anger, hate, uh, troublesome. And then it's it's yucky Mm. yoda i'm always just uh, reticent to like i hate sentimentality and like easy facile solutions like oh we just need to um just focus on the fact that god is sovereign and and jesus saves us like that that's all true and i'm not saying that this priest was being sentimental but at least the way i always receive it is like 
well, what does that look like? You know, what does it actually look sure. like uh, in a in a time and a place like our own? And again, we, we live in relative peace. Uh, certain certain people may have real concerns or real like justified fears of the way oh, the yeah. country is moving on both sides. Oh okay? yeah, totally. So I'm not, I'm you know, I'm speaking from a place of privilege, <laughs> as mm-hmm. as not really vulnerable to much of those things. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss those, those fears or those real like sources of anxiety that do turn to hatred. Um, but yeah, the, that's why I thought my, my focus was like, mind your own business kind of thing. Like there, there is division in your own life. You know, Thomas Burton talked about this with world war two breaking out. I think I've mentioned this before in seven story mountain. Mm-hmm. He talks about the yeah, fact yeah. that, you know, who is he to think that there could be such war and hatred and selfishness in his own heart and life and for that not to manifest itself in geopolitical affairs, you know, mm. that, mm-hmm. that sin is, the kingdom of God is a matter of human hearts, you know, and as you depart from God, practically speaking, like secularism will fail. I mean, like that, I think that that can be sort of dogmatically said. Like if you try to have a, a, a society or a government or whatever, God forbid, a church that doesn't actually listen to God and kind of goes its own way, um, then you will, you're departing from the source of life and unity and integrity uh, and you'll, you'll disintegrate into multiplicity and division and, and, the way that that's manifested is through hatred and people people not understanding that your neighbor may disagree with you but you still i mean it's politics for crying out loud why why does this end up becoming like my experience in the parish was nobody nobody was talking really frankly about like i'm happy about this result or i'm dismayed about this result everybody was just walking on eggshells like sort of maybe i'm projecting but my my feeling was like nobody wanted to say anything because a vote one way or the other was so indicative of like the fact that I hate you, you know, because I voted this way. You know, we're in, we're in actual fact, like people have lots of motivations for, for voting different ways. And it's not just because they hate the other side. It's because they have certain intuitions about economics or foreign policy or, or, or all this different stuff. Uh, and Nobody was, nobody is arguing like this candidate is bad about that because it's all just get out the vote because the, the evil ones are trying to take over our country, you know, and it just was like a war. It's like a, it felt like a civil war of ideas, um, not of ideas, but of, of ideology, you know? Well, just, yeah, a giant land, land field minefield of emotions which i i think it was friar fetz who used to be one of the the friars that studied up here with us um and i heard this indirectly through another classmate but he said that essentially facebook right now because people don't have a place to individually process like one-on-one and conversations what they're going through and how they experience the election that Facebook or basically social mediums are becoming the way that people are emoting. 
Like that's how they're processing through the election. Well, not even processing, just kind of spewing what they're feeling. And so when you have just a bunch of unprocessed anger slash hate slash fear being spewed out into the social medium, like, yeah, I'm super glad I'm not on Facebook to get that. And I'm also super glad yesterday I had a classmate come up and we sat down and just talked about the election and he was he had a lot of friends that were really shook up about it. Ergo, he was shook up about it. And just to sit down and he was like, hey, this is how I I this is how I'm responding to the results. I need someone to talk to. Um, so we just got to sit down and like, quote unquote, dialogue about it. Uh, and I, I hate to bring up a point that I learned in CPE because that was a foul, wretched experience. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the big things that they that they said, which it, I really do think it is true, is that um, although different people have different ideas and they have different circumstances through which they experience the world, through which they experience the election, like different upbringings that shape the way that we all internalize that, um, different views on people, different religious views, whatever sort of colors your filter, um, that the thing underneath all of the ideas and all of the circumstances is really, to Rob's point about the statistic, is a, is a shared experience, like a feeling and emotion that is felt on both sides. And that was one of the big things that they um, sort of taught us and hinted at, uh, pushed us towards when connecting with patients to figure out what's the underlying emotion. And the way that you connect with them is, and like they, we did this in small groups as well, but you would share a feeling even though it would have no relationship to like the idea or the circumstances of another person's feeling. Just the fact that you were sharing in that, like, oh, I'm also experiencing that right now, it would like partially alleviate it from the other person, but also allow the other person to be understood and to be known better. And they would become more vulnerable and more open um, because of a shared experience. And I I say all that to, um, I I guess this is like a little plug for prayer. Um, Like the homily that uh, Rob was talking about down at the parish. The whole point of that homily of like how you give that to Jesus is to is to seriously enter into prayer and like let him show you that he has experienced that fear, that he has maybe not experienced that hate, but like a huge one for me is the agony in the garden of just realizing that like Jesus legitimately was terrified and he had all these fears about things that were coming in the future um, and maybe like unsureties and blah, blah, blah. But he actually had that experience. So if Jesus is alive, then like letting him, having a lived experience with Jesus through processing an emotion in prayer, like that's not, that's not made up. That's not magic. That's not, um, it, it's real. And so to actually sit down and allow Jesus to actually enter in and then to claim his territory as king, like the way that the liturgical calendar is matched up perfectly with all these crazy events, the Cubs, Trump, like here comes the 
crazy readings from revelations and like the end times. And then the liturgical encounter leads us right up to Christ the King. And so like to have those ex- honest experiences with Jesus where he does like share that, at, that's, that's at least how I do it. And it's, I mean, it's real for me. Then you develop a relationship and like, I guess that's how Jesus claims your heart as King. Like you give that to him and you actually articulate thoughts, feelings, desires. Like that's the, that's the heart of it. Um, it's having that shared experience that's deeper than just a thought. Like there's, there's a feeling, there's an emotion that's underneath that. So, yeah, well, I'll say that my, my own personal experience, and I, I totally agree with that. My, m- the conclusion of my homily, I, which it wasn't a great homily, I'm not trying to say that, but the, our, our patron at our parish is St. Benedict, and Ora at Labora um, is a pretty darn good motto, you know, pray and work. Mm. And that's, regardless of who wins elections, you know, like people in monasteries are working out their salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, and praying for the entire world. Uh, they're not just lifted out of their boots into the seventh heaven. They're, they're living in the world doing the most mundane things sometimes, um, farming and, and manual labor and stuff like that. But their work itself, their, their simple life, their little slice of human history that they live in is sanctified because they, they pray. And my experience of the, the days after the election, I was, I was consumed with, like, what are people thinking about? I'm, I'm the kind of guy, like, if I were on Facebook, I wouldn't be posting anything. I would, just be re- I would just be devouring everyone else's angry comments and getting worked up by myself. Um, I think there's, I don't know what the, that means. I, I am on the INFJ scale or whatever, but I... I was consumed by that and like even driving in the car I was going to a meeting like it was that was inhibiting my ability to to really focus on what I was doing or or the work that I had to do that week and even the prayer like in the car I was just I never listened to talk radio but I just had to hear like in real time what people are saying about this you know and I should have just shut it off and prayed the rosary which is something I normally would have done but because of the circumstances, I had to just, I had to know, I had to have my finger on the pulse, but it was just closing my world off. Ironically, I realized like a Friday night I had a Bible study with the teenagers and I've gotten a lot of kids coming to that now. And I thought, what I really want to do is just like hear what they have to say, you know, and a lot of their opinions are, are just these muddled reflections of things they've heard their parents say or teachers or other kids but like actually talk to a real person rather than not that people on the radio or on the internet aren't real people, but um, that sort of way of consuming opinion fortifies my own opinions, you know, like for or against, I read something about from somebody who disagrees with me and I am thinking of the 10 reasons why that person's an idiot or I'm watching a video of somebody I agree with and being like, yes, yeah, we're right. You know, and that just internally makes you, like less human because you're not, I just needed to go out in the street and like talk to somebody and even not about that, not even about what I'm thinking about, like to engage in a real uh, human conversation or like what we're doing right now, talk to a real person about something that matters to them. Dude, that is, that, that's actually very similar to what I, I, and I probably didn't come across, but like the point I was trying to, 
at least kind of incorporate at the beginning was like Facebook versus like a one-on-one. Yeah. And I remember, um, I hadn't thought about that before now, but I remember, I think the year before I entered seminary, I read um, a book, I think it's called A People of Hope, which is an interview, it's like a long interview in book form with Cardinal Dolan uh, by this, I think, American reporter anyway. Um, and I don't remember a ton of the details. It was a good kind of fun, fun read anyway. But uh, at some point, the guy was asking him just about like all the stuff that comes across his desk as Archbishop of New York and, you know, like just all the stuff he he sees and has to deal with. And um, and he at some point in there, he made the point and he was I don't think he was like oversimplifying or not like not trying to hear what people are saying or whatever. But his point was like, you know, in his life and his life as a priest, like he has found that not all of the world's problems, like not all of the world's confrontations and disagreements can be solved this way. But his point was that a lot of them, like if you're willing to just like sit down and have a beer with somebody and talk to them, that solves about like 90% of the issues. And, um, and then the other ones, like it kind of gives you the freedom to like really dig into in a, I don't know, like humane way. And that point, like, always really just stuck stuck with me. Anyway, and I found it to be very true of, like, seeing the little bit I did of, like, the social media or media stuff versus um, exactly that, like, talking to someone about it. And it, the, the weird thing is it doesn't, like, for me at least, it didn't matter where that other person was coming from. Um, like realizing if they were talking from like a place of fear or, you know, even like bitterness or whatever, like they weren't attacking me in it. Like that was a real place for, for them. Um, and it just makes a world of difference, man. It, it totally, it, I feel like we have the best of both worlds going on. So we're using the internet right now, but also have human interaction. That's like, (laughs) that's the perfect combo. Uh, but it is interesting to just think about Facebook and like particularly in this situation, I, I'm not on it, but I've never heard of anything quite like it in the social media realm where there's been like such a strong reaction all at once. Hmm. And so then you have, it's like mob mentality via the internet. So then people just get fired up about other people's thoughts and, and emotions that are, are showing up. And so then it's just like this amplification with no way of actually uh, digesting and releasing the emotion. Like, and so then you just become dominated by it. But yeah, getting out and having that legitimate human interaction, uh, it's a game changer, man. I mean, it, it seriously... I, well, I just I, feel like there's so much... Again, speaking from my own experience, but projecting that onto what I see in the media or in, in social media, um, that everybody's just so dang concerned about what other people think, you know? And, uh, like part of, part of growing up, I feel like is having your mind changed about things. And the only way you really have your mind changed about things is to have the humility to actually listen to somebody else. And like, why do you think that? 
you know, even if it's a position that seems so dumb, like actually getting into like, why, why do you feel that way? Is it just an intuition or you like, have you not heard these things, you know, but like we, it's just like as a country or as a society, we've just all given up on listening and you're just, all of us are just waiting for the other side to stop talking so that we can get our point across, you know, and that, that whole thing, like, why, why do I care so much what somebody who disagrees with me thinks? Just so that I can think, like, oh, yeah, Ugh, that sickens me, you know? We're yeah, all no, just doing that, you know? It's like, well, it's kind of none of my business, like, what somebody in Portland, Oregon, or in, you know, the middle of Pennsylvania thinks. Like, it affects me because that affects the outcome of a, of a presidential election, and I am a citizen of this country, and therefore he's my president. So what you think does matter to me, but very little very little what really matters to me like as a priest i thought my duty is to the people of my parish and to help inform their consciences you know and i i really had nothing to say about this election prior to it like what what do you say did you know i'm not going to get up there and endorse a candidate or a party or anything like that um and my my job doesn't have anything to do with politics except that my people have something to do with politics some of them are politicians some and all of them you know, or a huge portion of them vote and so participate in the political process. But the actual human beings, you know, um, as their priest, what is my duty? You know, and it's so it's so easy to like feel like, well, I need to change their opinion to my opinion on, on things that are not exactly essential to um, their eternal salvation. Like what really matters about voting to me vis-a-vis -vis them is their conscience, you know, and them them feeling like they've done their duty to God, you know, and have have not disobeyed their conscience or have a mal malformed conscience in certain things. But you get what I'm saying? Like, it's just, at the end of yeah, the day, it, like, it, I, it, it, does it really matter that everyone agrees with me about economics or, or, or armed conflicts and things like that, you know? Because I don't really have that much to say about them, and I'm not an expert, and uh, although I'm skeptical of experts, quote-unquote, anyway, but... What do you think of the thing that I just said? <laughs> the things that you just said stir interesting thoughts in my brain. <laughs> um, no, the one, the one, well, two things in particular. Um, I, I, it's probably the Baron influence, but just GK and GK Chesterton influence in general. Like, I know Baron would always point to the beauty of the relationship between uh, Chesterton and George Bernard Shaw how they were vehemently opposed to each other in idea land. But they would sit down and drink and talk and have legitimate like arguments, uh, but were very, very dear friends and would roast each other, man, like some hilarious stuff back and forth. But the ability that they had to separate like idea from person um, – where it's like, no, I, I still see you and I still have this interaction with you, even though we can still disagree. I, I just don't think we have that ability. And I'm guilty of it as well. I've actually gone into, this is the other thing that I thought of, I've gone into conversations with people like wanting to dislike them and wanting to dislike them more after the conversation because I already knew we were going to disagree. But we had a real human interaction <laughs> and I left like liking them more and actually being upset by that of like, dang it. I freaking now I like them, man. And like, 
<laughs> I did not want that to happen. That's the opposite of what I wanted. I wanted to dislike them more because I already knew we disagreed. But the the ability to connect between like a real authentic relationship um, where you experience another person, like that's a powerful thing, man. And it's, yeah, it's made me grumpy sometimes. Well, what I get, what I get the impression is that th- these politicians, like in both of their speeches, Hillary and Trump, uh, after the result, they were both very gracious and, uh, you know, not Trump wasn't gloating and Hillary wasn't like batting down the hatch and let's fight this and protest in the cities. You know, they're both I got the impression like they both know that politics is this theater where they have to they have to lather people up with emotion because people vote with their guts, not with their brains all the time. You know, yeah. Uh, and so those debates, you know, like we the debates are just, they're not a war of ideas. They're, they're a war of identity. Like, who are you with? You know, who's your team? And um, so what I hope is that we can all just get over it because they're over it. You know, they're just looking, you know, the, the losers are looking to the next election and the winners are looking to do as much as they can with the resources they have to implement their vision or, or whatever. That is a great point. So they're over it. They they play the game, and we're the audience that they have to to rile up. So let's all just chill. Um, and to your point, Mike, like if you don't have, if you're a Catholic and you don't have any friends that are atheists, if you're a conservative and you don't have any friends that are staunch liberals, like go make friends with them, because yeah, uh, yeah we. We don't have to be like they don't have to set the agenda of who gets to be friends with who. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I like that. I was even thinking this is a little off off base, but even thinking in that of like we need that capacity. Like if you're a conservative, go out and become friends with a liberal and vice versa or with a Catholic and atheist, etc. Um, like we need that. It was so bad. Like you need the capacity and ability to argue, and and not have it be an identity crisis either, either way. And I was even there's something like, and I think it came across in this election almost at certain points. And I don't want to downplay like the seriousness of a presidential election or anything like that, but the theater of it was frankly comical at times. Like especially in this one. And you almost wonder if we need like we need wit or something like that. I thought of like when you were talking about the Shaw and Chesterton friendship, like one of my favorite stories. I don't even know if it's true, but one of my favorite stories from Churchill was he was over at some some big dinner with a bunch of dignitaries and all this stuff. And like he was good friends with the couple that was hosting it. I don't know if the guy was like a fellow statesman or whatever. But he knew his wife really well. And she was like a well-known lady. And they would kind of banter back and forth. And she was at one end of this big table and he was at the other. And he made some comment um, that really ticked her off. And so in front of all these people, she like yells down at the, to the end of the table. And she was like, Winston, if you, were, if you were my husband, I'd poison your soup. And supposedly without even looking up from his soup... He he just he kept eating, and he was like, "Nancy, if you were w- my wife, I'd eat it." And uh, <laughs> I was like, good. "Yeah, I mean, but like, where th- there's something like very uh, 
I don't know, just very good in that, you know, and not downplaying that like they were maybe miffed like with each other, you know, yeah, and it's like uh, when you like, yeah. couples need to learn how to fight, you know, yeah. like not every issue and part of it, this is actually a really good analogy. I'm just thinking of this now, like when we were Dr. Barrett's class about uh, marriage and relationships, you had us read some book about, I don't remember if it was the, the horseman of the Gottman stuff. Yeah, it was like how to fight well. And it's a lot of like I statements, you know, rather than you see the socks on the floor for the 50th time and you don't say to the spouse, like, you are so selfish, you know, you never pick up your socks. Um, you only think of yourself like that's you, you take like some thing, some concrete thing, like I've asked you not to leave your socks on the floor to put them in the laundry basket, um, but you don't. And that makes me feel like you don't care about me, like I'm just your maid or something, or your servant. Like saying that is all, my experience of this thing is this. Um, this is how I feel when this happens and you have some control over it and you need to know that. Uh, that's a fight. You're, you're having a fight. This, this thing is not right and it's making me mad versus like the ad hominem like this indicates that you are an ass basically and that immediately makes a person defensive because they're like no i'm not i'm not selfish you know so then they then in worst case scenario they come back at you and say like well you do this and that means you're that you know and so then the the relationship uh gets more and more rancorous because every little thing or every little disagreement becomes a an occasion to basically attack the character of the other person rather than address a problem with a re, like a real problem you know things are not well you're making me feel bad basically and as a country i feel like we've done this with politics like every single disagreement about immigration or about taxes or the economy or um, whatever, religion, abortion, gay marriage, the Supreme Court, everything, like if you disagree with me, that means you hate me or are a subhuman or whatever, both sides, flinging these sort of, you're a socialist or whatever. And uh, it's a failure to really fight, learn how to fight well, you know, like we're, we are in a very weird society. Our national identity is legal. It's not ethnic. It's not religious. It's not cultural. Like it's, it's pluralistic. And people have very different ideas about the purpose of human life, about who God is, about what human life is for. And if we all want to live in the same country um, and respect each other and, and live, in, live in peace and prosperity... Like we need to learn how to fight well. And that to me, like your little Churchill thing is like, it diffuses the thing because um, it's funny, you know, <laughs> like if you were my wife, I'd kill myself. That's, <laughs> oh, it's obviously uh, in jest, you know, but right. it, it makes light of the situation where it's like, this is just, we've, this is blown out of proportion right now and it's become a personal attack and you said you'd just kill me. And I'm just going to reflect that back to, to show you how ridiculous that is, you know. It's like you, I left my socks on the floor and you want to stab me. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I couldn't help but jumping to, um, well, I guess I thought of Sherry Waddell's book, 
the forming intentional disciples and just the whole idea of evangelization within the church. Can you talk more on the mic, Mike? Yeah. Is that better? Yeah. Mike, Mike. Um, Frick. Father Sebus. Sherry Waddell. Sherry Waddell, forming intentional disciples. Right. So how, how this applies to like talking about Jesus slash the kingdom slash like getting out and yeah, as a Catholic, having that friend who's an atheist and her whole point, like with her basic five steps, the first one is building trust, being a bridge of trust. And I think the power of that really comes through. Like, I think it's the underlying point of this conversation is like forming relationship is primary to talking about the gospel because actually having a human interaction, having a, um, a relationship formed is, you know, that's the basis upon which then you can start actually talking and teaching and preaching. Um, and so, like, I, I think that's where we get it wrong a lot of times. Even I found in preaching, like, when I do talk about um, make I statements, uh, not that the homily is a, about me or anything like that, but instead of just telling people what to do all the time, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this very well, but trying to... I, trying to form relationship first as being the bridge upon which then the kingdom can be preached upon then which the gospel can be preached. So just basic human interactions. Like, I mean, I think religion goes along the same, um, the same stream as politics is people just want to yell at each other, which I mean, you can find plenty, plenty of evidence for that. I've gotten sucked into some YouTube debates, let me tell you that, on religion. <laughs> and it's literally just people yelling at each other who, I mean, both ideas seem plausible and legitimate, but neither idea is being heard. And I found it the best time that even my friends who are not necessarily believers, like honestly not uh, explicitly preaching to them has been some of the best preaching that I could ever possibly do of just having a, a maintained steady friendship where it's perpetual love through action, perpetual love through conversation. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know, maybe it doesn't, won't lead to this necessarily in my friendships, but having a bridge of trust so that the gospel can be preached, I think is like that always flows through the basic human interaction that has to be primary because I mean, that's how Jesus came to us. Like our humanity is always present there and is actually used to transmit the gospel. So the same thing that we're talking about with politics, I think also applies to the faith and applies to how we live it and how we think about it. Like this has to be lived within us. Then you relate to other people as a kind, loving human being. And then maybe then, then the gospel <laughs> is explicitly preached and then it's actually able to be heard because you have a, a connection that's formed, a relationship. Um, I don't, that's, that was kind of the evan, evangelization segue there. My brain jumped too. Well, I, I'm just kind of intrigued here uh, about the how. You know, I'm a podcaster myself, how to be awesome at your job. 
Couldn't resist. Couldn't no resist. Adver- I'm cutting that out. <laughs> Cut that out. It's fine. That it's podcast fine. sucks. <laughs> you don't listen to it. You have to, you have to pay us 50 drums of oil for yeah. that on the podcast. Listen, listen, hey, Greg. <laughs> I want I want a gallon of Tide bleach and ten million dollars every week for the rest of my life. That sounds reasonable. Well, okay. You, you, if that <laughs> if I get that, then that can stay, and well, that's all. I'll well, just take the Tide bleach. <laughs> yeah, cut it out as you will. I guess what I'm really getting at here is. I would love to hear from you just a little bit of the, the the how there in terms of the the do's and don'ts that you've collected from your experience and 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 ministry and talking with people and counseling and friendship. It's like I'm fascinated to see you know what are some of the things that really kind of work in terms of oh yeah we have a, a good bridge of trust building it's growing it's flowing things are happening versus some of the things that just uh, shut it down like some some mistakes that you know folks are making whether they're they're priests or, or just folks uh, chatting with one another that uh, we got to cut out now yeah oh yeah this is what we need to start doing okay this is what we're, honestly this is what has worked for me just start telling people how sinful they are and like <laughs> how much they're gonna burn okay like that's <laughs> i lead with that yeah i you go to college campuses and hold signs about stuff like that mm-hmm. oh yeah just like and, and they I'll make up their mind. It's not my fault if they're going to hell. Graphic, well, I know. It's their fault. I, I no, in all seriousness, <laughs> in all seriousness like, I think my thinking on this is like we need to be able to, to separate the person from what they think and do. You know, not that those not that, that your thoughts and actions aren't profoundly personal and reflective of, of who you are, but um you know, like to say, to, to have your own identity or your own story that you tell yourself is this static narrative of like, I am a person who believes this, or I am a person who does this. And if you disagree with me, or if you think that what I'm doing is wrong, then you are attacking me, not the idea or not the action. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So separating, like the whole hate the sin, love the sinner thing is kind of tired and cliche um but i I think that i saw some some evangelist kind of guy on twitter say it should be judge the action not the person okay or you know judge the idea not the person you're judging judging a person is impossible because only god sees the heart you know judgment being judgmental in the sinful sense is imputing a motive you know like a person may be doing something wrong or thinking something uh, ignorant, but the moment you judge the person is when you impute the motive and you say, that's because they're a bigot or that's because they want to destroy America. You know, that seems to me like the two sides of this. Like yeah. uh, everybody on the left wants to fundamentally destroy America and everybody on the right is a racist, homophobic bigot. That's idiotic. <laughs> and there I am judging uh, judging the idea, not the people who think that, you know what I mean? So the same goes for like building trust in terms of evangelization. Like you can, you can believe very robustly the things you believe, like I do, you know, and even state them with some force. Like it is a mortal sin. Fornication is a mortal sin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I can say that and I believe it, but those who fornicate, which is basically everyone, I don't think they're all going to hell or they're all evil people. I'm not imputing a motive. I think there's a lot of forces at work in our culture that have normalized that and said, like, 
basically sex is an activity that you do. It's not sacred. It has nothing to do with your soul. It's just something you do with your body for fun or to, you know, bond with a person. But it's like, I believe something very firmly about that. And it's, I can say with certainty and moral certainty that I, I can judge it as sinful. Yeah. Uh, but, that, you know, as long as you communicate to a person, I think this is just like social skills. Like, how do you communicate to a person like, I love you, I like you as a human being, even though you do and think things that I think are wrong? You know, how do I separate those things? Yeah. I mean, my only thought to that is is a similar vein to yours, Bisque, of, um, I heard this earlier this year and it really like stuck with me. It's just you have to give yourself the permission uh, to be curious about the person in front of you. And like, and I, I found that. I mean, there's people I've met that are I mean, pretty much opposed to everything like I hold pretty, pretty deeply. Um, and you and so I literally it's like an intentional, uh, like willful act on my part of like, first and foremost, I have to be curious about like what made that person believe and think how they how they do. And I found that to be very like fruitful because I think it does engage them in a certain way, but I found that it's a freer way to live for me. Um, and that, I guess like the ultimate answer to that question is like, um, man, when you get to know um, who Jesus is and uh, like what that what that means in your own life. Like you have that freedom to, yeah, engage the person. Like, and it can, it can be really practical. Like just more and more, I'm convinced that like we need, especially as priests, but like as any, anybody, but like you need good, healthy, like fun hobbies, not because like you're distracting yourself or unwinding from the week or whatever, but because you need to engage like the passions and the love and the talents that God gave you because they open you up to like a more authentic humanity. Um, and so like to live in a spot of freedom that like you can just like first, first and foremost, be curious about the person in front of you and like tell them then like in freedom what makes you happy and what fulfills you. And you can start in very human ways and then hopefully like, move that like to the deeper thing which is um you know which is jesus and salvation and um you know deification ultimately uh yeah it's a lot but it's very broad yeah and that's what i think by the way thank you for asking this question because it is i mean well we don't really ask that many questions on the podcast oh my pleasure thank you yeah, we just yeah. give answers to questions just, no one's asking. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Um, well, it's very practical, I think, as well. Um, but, like, Rob, to your point about having... Because you have to be free to be curious. Yeah. And I think being Jesus is the only thing that is big enough to give you that freedom to engage anybody about any topic. Like, to, to genuinely have the freedom to be curious and follow a conversation anywhere it goes. Like if I'm conservative and I my identity stems from my conservatism, then I don't necessarily have the freedom to 
listen to everything that's coming at me from a socialist, from a fascist, from a communist or whatever, from a, uh, a big liberal. So, like, I think Jesus is the only person who does give us that freedom. And so, like, I, yeah, I don't want to use this, this type of language, but, like, the preparation to that conversation is legitimately, like, letting Jesus bear his word in your heart and to live as Jesus. He's the only person that will actually give you the total freedom to enter into those conversations and to curiously and authentically engage human beings. Um, and so, like, very practically, the best, the best things that have worked for me, I see, I don't even like that. The best conversations that I've had that have led to Jesus um, have been ones where I, I just talk about, like, the good things that God has done, and people legitimately see it. So if, like, when you talk about the person that you love, we all light up. When I talk about my family, it's impossible for me to not get super pumped. And I think the same goes for, like, our relationship with Jesus. When you're talking about someone that you love and the good things that he's done for you, like, hey, my father gave me this baller vocation. We're like, I'm celibate and I don't really get what that means all the time, but like I feel full of love and full of joy and gratitude. People will sit there and listen to you all day talking about the good things that God has done for you. And I, like I never really, I mean, if people ask questions about it, that's great, but it's kind of to your, your point earlier, Father, of like making those I statements about like this is how God has, has blown my mind and changed my heart. Um, people will listen to that. Hey, and we got to go to we got to go to class here. But oh, yeah. buddy, buddy Pete, take the last word and answer your own question. One minute. Oh wow! I guess I was I was actually also going to to talk about the curiosity piece because I, I think if I'm in a place where it's just like I want to be right and I want to uh, assert the truth, then that usually leads to. Uh, not the greatest of conversations, as opposed to if I just sort of give myself that permission, it's like hearing and entertaining those alternative ideas doesn't mean I'm supporting, uh, propping them up, endorsing them in any way. It's just like a fun investigation, like I'm reading a novel or watching a movie or something, then then that really does lead to some cool stuff. So, so I dig that, the curiosity, and even just sort of take a breath beforehand and and ask yourself the right questions. It's like, what's fascinating about this? And mm. and and to enjoy it as uh, so. I'm right with you on the curiosity. All right, cut that out. Dang it, McCoy, yeah, yeah, yeah. That went nowhere. All right, guys. You have a, a, a very radio esque voice there, Pete. You do, man. Oh well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's almost like mine. He's what's your podcast called again? Oh shucks, you're too good. How to be awesome at your job. All right, I'm yeah, I'm not gonna listen. But that's great. <laughs> Dude, that's a, that's a great plug. Honestly, you're gonna. Well, he gets way more downloads than us guys. So, oh crap! <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's gonna see the 3DN bump. Well, maybe well, though. Prepare maybe. for your website to crash because it's coming. <laughs> All right. Wait, did how much did we win that competition by? The voting's over on December first. So yeah, go <gasps> to Catholic web bestcatholicwebsites.com to. Assure a victory. 
Mm. All the pundits, all the pundits say it's guaranteed that we're going to win. <laughs> There's no way they can imagine. It would be completely inexplicable if somebody came from behind and beat us. Ugh. All right, we got to go. Good talk, dudes. All right, later. Bye. See ya. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.